what's actually happening to our recycling. If Canada wants to be a leader in the fight against plastic, it needs a better recycling plan right here at home. We've learned recycling is broken. Hi, I'm Carol Eugene Park. And I'm Ramnik Johal. This is Decomplicated. Before we get started, I want to remind you to go to decomplicated.com and sign up for our daily newsletter where we decomplicate a top story. We tell you why certain things are trending to keep you in the know. Every morning, straight to your inbox, no hassle, but all the fun. Back to you, Ramnik. Happy Earth Day, Carol. You too. Ramnik, what does Earth Day mean to you? For me, it's about celebrating and spending time in nature, but also discussing what we can do to preserve it. What about you, Carol? Oh, loving the Earth, appreciating nature, all that fun stuff. I love that for you. But one thing on Earth Day that is important to talk about is the ways that we can protect our Earth. And something that came to mind was the fact that recycling is often a solution to climate change that's proposed or endorsed and encouraged. But at the same time, I hear some people talking about how it's a myth. And did you know that according to the federal government, Canadians throw away 3 million tons of plastic waste, only 9% of which is recycled? This means that the vast majority of plastics end up in landfills, and about 29,000 tons finds its way into our natural environment. 9% is like an alarmingly low percentage of recycled plastic. So much for Earth Day. But Ramnik, why do most plastics end up in landfill in the first place? I thought recycling was a solution to a greener society. As it turns out, it's definitely not the only solution. And we have a long way to go. So I talked to two experts to ask about the arguments for and against recycling and its role in creating a greener society. But first, let's dive in. All right, Ramnik, break recycling down for me. I see what you did there. I connected with Ashley Wallace from Oceana, Canada. She told me a little bit about the history of recycling and why we still do it today. Here she is. Over the years, especially I would say the last couple of decades, we have seen more and more plastic in our recycling systems. And the systems, since they were never really designed to handle this kind of complex uh, complexity and volume of material, um, we've ended up in a situation where we actually can't recycle a lot of the plastics that are currently on the market. And in Canada, less than 9% of the plastic waste we generate is recycled which is kind of actually the global average. And so the majority of the plastics that we're using are ending up in landfills, incinerators, or uh, the environment. What did she mean by the complexity of materials? Well, Ashley elaborated that right now, the recycling of plastics isn't the most effective solution. 
And this is in part due to the way that things are made. I think that um, it isn't impossible for recycling to be a part of the solution. It's just that where we're at now, it isn't particularly um, effective. Materials that are on the market, they're designed in such a way that they're not easy to recycle. They might have labels or glues or dyes in them that make them harder to actually recycle. Uh, But we also end up having a huge issue with something called end markets. So, you know, it's one thing to put it in a bin and it's one thing for it to end up at a facility where it gets sorted and turned into like a plastic flake. But if that material, that plastic flake isn't purchased by another producer to turn into another plastic good, there really has been no benefit. And right now, recycled material actually has to compete with virgin resin. 99% of plastics are made from fossil fuels. What is virgin resin? I've literally never heard of that before. I actually wasn't sure either. So I asked Ashley to clarify what that even is. So um, 99% of plastics are made from fossil fuels. They're made from oil and gas. And virgin resin is plastic that is made directly from oil and gas that hasn't been something else before. So virgin resin is essentially like the opposite of recycled resin, recycled resin being plastic that has been something before and has been turned back into a pellet to then be made into a new product. So how I understood it is that some plastics are actually made from recycled plastics, while others are manufactured from oil and gas, like Ashley said. That makes sense. But then going back to what Ashley said earlier, how do we make recycling more effective if some of the plastics being produced aren't even recycled? I asked Ashley about this. Here she is. So there are things that could happen to make recycling more efficient and effective, things like requiring a minimum amount of recycled content in products. Um, So if all shampoo bottles needed to have a minimum of, let's say, 50% recycled content, then it wouldn't really matter if it was more expensive than virgin material because businesses would be required to actually use that material. Um, And that would actually incentivize more investments in recycling and recycling infrastructure. Romnik, did Ashley mention anything about why Canada doesn't have a standardized recycling system? It seems like each province has its own set of standards. That's a great question. And that's actually something I noticed when I was visiting family in Toronto. There are certain things that we do to recycle or to compost organics here in BC that they don't do in Ontario. And it's a bit confusing. Here's what Ashley had to say. The environmental community has been pushing pretty hard for the federal government to step in and kind of create some standardization and harmonization. Um, Right now, there aren't just differences between provinces, but there's often actually differences between municipalities. Basically, up until this point, municipalities are typically the ones who are the frontline operators of curbside recycling uh, systems. And so they kind of have relationships with recyclers um, and with the companies that are producing these plastics, and they're the ones that design the recycling systems. There's increasingly a movement towards um, a kind of legislation or a policy framework called extended producer responsibility, 
And in that framework, we make producers the ones who are financially and operationally responsible for recycling. So instead of it being a City of Toronto initiative, it's now an initiative of the businesses that actually create this packaging. Um, And that's what BC has. BC has an extended producer responsibility piece of provincial legislation, and it uh, demands that the companies that actually produce plastic products and packaging are the ones that design and operate their recycling systems. And the idea there is that producers, once they're actually faced with the costs of managing their own waste, will be incentivized to create packages that are either easier to collect, easier to recycle, or in an ideal world, they actually design their product in such a way that there is no more packaging, so they don't actually have to pay into that system at all. I also asked Ashley about Canada's proposed plastics ban. Here she is. I think in general, when you look at um, the global population um, and you think about plastic consumption in Canada, you have to realize that generally speaking, um, richer, more developed countries tend to be larger consumers, period. So that means we're using more kind of single-use convenience products and packaging. And so we are contributing disproportionately to plastic waste. I think in terms of the proposed ban, So the federal government um, announced in the fall that they would be looking at a variety of kind of regulatory and non-regulatory options to reduce plastic waste. Um, And one of the things that they're looking at is a ban on six single-use plastic items. So those are straws, cups, checkout bags, cutlery, coffee stir sticks, and six-pack rings. And, you know, honestly, I think that this is like a great step. I think that it's quite obvious that there are a lot of things we use plastic for where it isn't essential. These are not often essential items to begin with. And then it is definitely not essential that they be made from plastic. These are also items that are often found um, littered in the environment. And so efforts to kind of ban products that we don't need, that are found in the environment and that are hard to collect and recycle, I think are great. I do think that the ban needs to be expanded beyond those six items. Um, If you look at other jurisdictions that have moved to ban things, uh, we see additional items like um, cotton swabs with plastic sticks, plastic egg cartons, plastic produce bags. um, And a personal pet peeve of mine is the single-use coffee cup, which a lot of people think is paper, but actually often has like a plastic liner and is very, very hard to recycle. And I would love to see, if not an immediate ban on that, a commitment to a phase out. I remember a few years ago when many of my friends were really interested in eliminating plastics from their lifestyles. They would replace whatever they could with reusable items. And then people started having conversations about how it can't solely be on individuals to make this change. And that's a point that came up when I talked to Nam Topnoying from Extinction Rebellion, a climate justice movement that started in the UK with chapters across Canada. Here he is. We have to be demanding like systemic change because it, it's, it boils down to like the system we live in is a bit of a toxic system. It's led by these multinational corporations who are just built on profits. And in the end, the way they are able to keep us all in line, I guess, is by shifting the blame onto individuals. And the thing is, that is like the new kind of climate denialism. You're shaming individuals for taking part in this toxic system that we're all part of. So the basic principle I take out of it, and I think helps a lot of people, is that 
you know, you as an individual, you can't blame yourself and think you have to be perfect environmentally before you can become an advocate or an activist in this climate movement. Because if you do, you know, you're going to spend all this time and effort doing that, and you're never going to get around to actually helping systemic change. This feels like an important part of this discussion because, like Ashley mentioned, recycling alone, especially at an individual level, isn't and can't be the only solution to addressing climate change. Exactly. As both Nam and Ashley mentioned, individual solutions are sold to us as ways to address climate change. But with this alone, we are barely moving the needle. I asked Nam for his thoughts on this. Anyone who thinks they're remotely climate savvy will recycle. But you have to do more than just recycle. I guess when you think of recycling, I was just kind of refreshing my memory about it. And, you know, the three R's come up. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Like, recycle's the third one. That's the last option. You know, we can't put the blame onto consumers because that's what the corporations, the big companies that's how they benefit. And that's how they keep making their profits. So it's really dangerous to be thinking that recycling is going to, you know, somehow get us out of this big plastic mountain. It's, it's really kind of the last resort. Big corporations, they get away with so much. They really do. But there are ways our governments could quickly mobilize if they wanted to. Nam talked a bit about this. I was just talking to um, or listening to a talk by Seth Klein, who is Naomi Klein's brother. And he was saying yesterday that he was drawing all these parallels between the World War II war effort by, by Canada and drawing the parallel to the climate crisis. And like it, it's definitely possible. We've shown in the past that we're able to mobilize mass amounts of money and you know redirect our economies to you know help the war effort. We can do the same thing for the climate change. And uh, now with COVID too, like we've shown it's, it's doable in this present time. So we've got to actually make it, like right now we just have incentives for companies to do this or that. Like you have to make an actual law to say, you know, you can't be making, you can't produce some use plastics or you can't be, you know, creating all kinds of other garbage that it just trashed after the first use. That's a really good point. And on Earth Day, what better time to think about the implications of all of this, particularly what we can do now rather than waiting for the future? Nam shared a similar sentiment. 30 years from now or something, four years from now, when I look at my grandchildren, can you look in the eye and actually be able to say, you know, I try to make a difference or were you just complicit in the problem? Well, as always, that was a really great conversation. Happy Earth Day, everyone. Stay green. Thank you for listening to Decomplicated. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to leave us a review, follow us on socials, and share this pod with a friend. And feel free to let us know what you want to see decomplicated next. This episode was produced by Ramnik Johal and Carol Eugene Park. Mixed by our audio producer, McKenna Hadley-Burke. And music composition by Sean Cameron. 
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Decomplicated. Decomplicated. 